0: Take your Bibles and turn with us, please, this morning to Luke chapter number four, the book of Luke, chapter number four. You can go to work tomorrow, or you can call your family this afternoon and let them know you helped sing the special music at Charity Baptist Church this Sunday, can't you? And we did that. Thank you, Brother Greg. Thank you, Miss Angie. Luke chapter 4, let's stand together, read the same verses we read last Sunday. Luke chapter number 4, verses 1 through 15, as we continue in this Christ series. The Bible says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Have you ever noticed that? That's where the devil operates, isn't it? He'll come at you pretty hot and heavy. And then he'll let up on you for a while. But he'll be back around, won't he? The devil's always tempting, enticing, soliciting. He's always at that business. Verses 14 and 15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Thank you for standing. This is our 17th look into the life of Christ. And... Uh, of course, this is part two to where we were last week. We got our first heading covered, and uh, just uh, a, a sub-thought under our second heading last week, and so that's where we where we pick up. We're in a section of his life that um, you won't find this in a book, and 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 and, and probably nobody would want to put it this way in a book. But at least it helps me separate in my mind. Uh, these are steps where Christ is moving from obscurity into his public ministry. There are two events um, under that heading, the baptism of Christ that we looked at already, and then the temptation of Christ being tempted of the devil some 40 days and 40 nights as he fasted in the wilderness. And so, so that's where we, we pick up again this morning. When we talk about him moving from obscurity into the public arena, He has been 28 of his 30 years. He's 30 years of age at this point. He's been 28 of his 30 years in the town of Nazareth, of all places. And he has lived what has been um, a peaceful, normal, quiet life. He has labored uh, at the carpenter's bench, a workbench, or he would have made mortar and, and worked on houses along that line as well as a mason, Uh, To some degree, no doubt he would have done that. There would have been many things he would have built. We talked about last week our first heading, that is an examination of the scene. I'll say something about that in review in just a moment. But our second consideration, that's where we're going to plug in in just three or four minutes, is the enemy of the soul. That is Satan. He's called the devil here in this text. The diabolos, the liar, the slander, the accuser. He's up to his old bag of tricks that he's always been up to. He doesn't need anything new. Um, somebody said, I was listening to a dear brother who preached years ago. I was listening. A fellow sent me a link to a message. Uh, brother, I have great respect for. He said, the devil. He said, if the devil were to come into your church, he needs really two items. He needs a wedge and he needs a hammer. And if he can find a place to start that wedge and where he can just every now and then deal The wedge of blow and drive the wedge between people in the church, he will do what he has set out to do. He is the enemy of the soul because he's the enemy of the Savior. He's the enemy of everything that bears the name of Christ. And then lastly, we'll consider the example of the Savior. You'll remember last week as we considered an examination of the scene, we spoke of the scene's chronology. You learn that this fits into, this event in the life of Christ fits immediately after his baptism and immediately before he steps forward for public ministry. And there's a battle that ensues here. He's proving himself. He's displaying his worthiness. That's what's going on here in this particular, uh, in this particular uh, part of his life. Uh, it is this temptation scene. There's the scene's duration. You remember all three of the synoptic writers uh, write of how that he's spending some 40 days uh, fasting in this wilderness scene. Again, the devil is reaching into his quiver, pulling out all of his fiery darts and firing them at the Son of God. Forty in the Bible, uh, there seems to be a pattern, an overwhelming pattern of trial, um, our testing with the number 40, we went through about 8, nine, ten examples of that in Scripture. The scene's characters, there's Jesus and the devil. There's the devil and Jesus who walks out victorious. You know the answer before it's ever even given. Verses 1 and 2, we said just a little about that. And then the scene's location. The Bible says it's in the wilderness. Um, this particular area in Israel is located just north of the Dead Sea. It's about 15 miles wide, 35 miles long. There's no place in all of Israel that is so hot, so barren, so arid. Uh, you, if you were to go there, you would probably have to go alone. No one would want to go there with you. There's nothing to eat out there. There's nothing to drink out there. It's just hot sand and a mountainous, uh, mountainous type of an area. So we talked about the scene's location then uh, just before we moved into our, uh, our last or our second heading as we closed last week. Consider with me, if you will. Now, that's an explanation of the scene. Uh, consider with me, if you will, the enemy of the soul or the enemy of the Savior, the enemy of, of all that is right and good that God has established. Verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. The Word of God tells us we have three enemies, three primary enemies. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, some believe that the devil is our worst enemy, and some would contend it's the world. There are passages in the New Testament that if uh, their emphasis makes any difference at all, Uh, it would appear that our worst enemy, our greatest enemy, is the fellow we look at in the mirror every morning. One case in point, go home, mark yourself a note. Some of you do take notes. James 4, verses 1 through 10, you'll find that the devil's mentioned only one time. That's in verse 7. You'll find that the world is mentioned two times, both times in verse 4. But you'll find at least 25 times between verses 1 and And verse number 10 of James 4, that you and ye and yourselves are mentioned. And we are our biggest enemy. As a matter of fact, I was reading after one commander years ago in an army, and he told his soldiers, he said, I have discovered our greatest enemy. And he said, gentlemen, it is ourselves. And dear heart, we are the ones, if we want more of God, I'm convinced we can have more of the things of God if we want to live for God, as Brother Chris mentioned just a moment or two ago to us in his Bible reading, uh, then uh, help yourself. How much of God's how much do you want? You can walk with Him if you so desire to walk with Him. We are living in an excuse-laden society. We make every excuse under the sun for not serving God. But bottom line is we don't serve Him any more than we, want, uh, any more than we do because we don't want to serve Him. If you'll say amen right there, I'll try to finish Uh, The message we started last Sunday, if you want to serve him, you can serve him. Help yourself. Amen. It's about like living in America. If you want to better yourself, get up in the morning and go somewhere every day and apply yourself. And at the end of the day, you may come away with $50, $100 to the good or $200 or more to the good. The Lord has left the door wide open. If you want to serve him, serve him. You can get in and you can serve him. Concerning, concerning the world, the enemy of the world, we just mentioned a brief thought last week and then closed, brought the message to a close. This is where we got to. When John writes in 1 John about the world, he's not talking about the mountains and the seas. He's talking about this world system, the way this world's um, uh, thinking has, um, has uh, come about, uh, this, uh, the ways of uh, the world. And of course, there's a lot of problems in the world. We were sitting in the prayer room this morning, and Brother Chris, uh, Brother Chris Wilburn was mentioning to me, I think maybe before, uh, before many got there, uh, was mentioning on Facebook. Now, I don't hardly ever mention Facebook in the pulpit, but uh, he had mentioned Brother Ricky Fields, our friend, Brother Ricky Fields, had mentioned uh, how that uh, in a post, in a Facebook post, that he did not understand why people who named the name of Christ never went to church um, made every excuse, whatever, and, of course, he got lamb blasted, so to where he took his post down. Now, that's where we're living today in cultural Christianity. As a matter of fact, a man can be unfaithful to his wife, leave his wife and children, and go embrace uh, some other woman, and then a pastor try to talk to him about it or somebody else try to talk to him about it and tell him that your place is with your wife and with your children or with your husband and with your children in your home. And what they'll do, mentioning Facebook, is they'll get on there and say, Well, God forgave me of my mistakes, and I'm moving on. Well, every Baptist in Pontotoc County will get on there and hip, hip, hooray. And I want to tell you something. We don't, we don't ask God to forgive us for our mistakes. We ask God to forgive us for our sins. We sin, and so, therefore, we violate. We cross the boundary with God, and so, therefore, we need His forgiveness As a matter of fact, we touched on this. I made myself a note of it because I had not thought of it in some time. But not long after I came here, I preached through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're all waiting for the sound of the trumpet and the shout of the Lord, aren't we? We're all waiting to go home at just any second. Now, we're waiting on that. When you get in 1 Thessalonians to the return of the Lord for his bride, in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, just before you get there, there are several things that will be very pronounced. Before he shows back up. Death will be very pronounced. Sexual perversion will be very pronounced. Busy bodies will be everywhere. Hence Facebook. Say amen right there. I'm on that stuff this morning. But also laziness. Just don't want to hit a lick at a snake. And we're seeing that in our day. But we talked about problems of the world. There are pressures in this world. You know that in philosophies that have been handed down to us by mainly those people who care nothing of God. They care nothing for Scripture and what it teaches, but these man-made philosophies, and everybody wants you to fit into their system. There's not only the world who is our enemy. There's the flesh, your flesh, and my flesh. It is a depraved enemy, Right? Uh, i already touched on that, so I won't say much about it. But sometimes even in testimonial services, and I've said this for 30-plus years now, you'll hear somebody stand and say, well, when God saved me, I don't want to say what I used to say, and I don't want to do what I used to do, and I don't have faults like I used to have, and et cetera, et cetera. You'll lie about other things, too. You're still married to this old Adamic nature. And I'm going to tell you something, though. You will have faults that you ought not have. Sometimes it's against your neighbor. You'd like to take him around back and give him what's for. Sometimes it's with your spouse or a child or a father. You understand what I'm saying. And I could give you a laundry list of that. But uh, the flesh is a depraved enemy. It'll deceive you. You'll lie to yourself. I will lie to myself. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are uh, are, are the ways of death. Jeremiah would write in Jeremiah 17, in verse number 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. And we're living in a day where somebody will say, "Well, oh, I'm just following my heart. I wouldn't advise doing that. I would advise following the Word of God. Put one foot down in the Word of God, and then put your other foot down in the Word of God. And every step you take, do it to honor the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, he said they who honor him, he will honor but the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Did you know that our own flesh, if we gave over to fleshly tendencies, do you know we could ruin everybody in our lives? We could ruin our lives and their lives too. You remember when Elimelech and Naomi took Malan and Chilean and they left Bethlehem, Judah, which means the house of bread, the house of praise, and the house of plenty. They went to Moab. The psalmist said about Moab, Moab that it was God's watchpot. Did you know there's nothing in the Bible good stated about Moab, nothing at all? They should have stayed. They left because there was a famine in the land. I mean, there just wasn't anything going on for them. And so they decide they're going to Moab, you see. And then they get to Moab, and they had stayed too long. They sinned the sin unto death. That is, Elimelech did, Malan did, and Chilean did. And you remember Naomi comes home with Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's at barley harvest, and people see her walking up the road and said, It can't be, can it? Is that really Naomi? And she said, Call me not Naomi, which means pleasant. She said, Call me Mara, which means bitter. This is what she said. She said, We had it made and didn't know it. She said, When we left, we were full, and we just didn't know it. We wanted more than what we were getting. And so that's why we set sail. That's why we loaded everything up on the back of the mules and headed down to Moab. She said, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Did you know that that's the testimony of every backslidden child of God that's ever got out there and stayed too long? What's the old saying? Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay and charge you more then you want to pay i'm telling you sin uh, given into sin and the devil in the world it will take more from you the devil promises plenty but he never he never gives uh, he never gives what he promises in the end that does he there's the world there's the flesh and mentioning the devil there he is the devil is personal and he's ruthless some people, even in Baptist churches, think that the devil's the cartoon figure. You know, the, the red suit and the pointed ears and the long tail like, a, like an old barn cat or something like that carrying a pitch tail and breathing smoke through his nostrils. That's not the devil. The devil is very personal. Some Baptists don't even believe that there's a devil. but I'm telling you, Jesus believed that there was a devil. He isn't personal and he's ruthless. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what your hopes and dreams are. He doesn't care if you've got mouths to feed. He doesn't care if you've got a wife looking to you to lead. He doesn't care if he can wreak havoc in your life. He is ruthless. He's cruel. He's got a a prescription for you. Here's what Jesus said about him. He said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Why in the world would a man want to or a young person or a... Or a lady or a young lady won't invest themselves in the allurements of this world. You ever want to get out in front of people with a, with a roadblock or set of saw horses or, or just get out in front of somebody and say, hey, wait a minute now, fella. Where do you think this is going to land you? Do you really think you'll be the exception to the rule whatsoever man soweth? That shall he also reap. You sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. You sow to the flesh, and you will reap what the flesh has to offer you. The devil's personal. And he is ruthless. You know what he'd love to do? You know what he'd love to do to our church? Why he'd love to split our church. You know what he'd love to do to your family and your marriage? He'd love to split your marriage. He'd love to turn your children against your you against your children. He'd love to do anything he can to had to promote chaos and so that Christ would not get the honor. Let me say this, the devil's cunning and he's very perplexing. Sometimes I hear people talk about the health and wealth preachers on TV and somebody will say, well, they're dumber than a box of rocks. But now the truth of the matter is they're not either. They're very clever. Most of them are very clever. And most of them will give you about 85% truth. It's just this heresy they mix in there. As a matter of fact, in our text today, the devil had the audacity to quote Scripture to the Lord Jesus himself, the high sheriff of heaven, the boss himself. He had the nerve to quote Scripture unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Just because a man's got a verse of Scripture, that don't mean he can get out here on a tangent somewhere. Even a church is not to be a free-for-all, right? Your home's not to be a free-for-all. You can't turn your kids loose, not give them a curfew, give them a, a, a target that they need to set in their lives. You've got to stay after them. You've got to work with them. You've got to do that. I'm telling you, the devil, he'd love to turn it upside down. He's faced better than me. He's split churches bigger than ours. He's divided more families in Pontotoc County than's represented here at Charity Baptist Church sitting on church pews this morning. Listen to me. Uh, what we want to say is, well, we can just see the devil and avoid him. We might can when he comes at us as a roaring lion, but when he comes as an angel of light, I tell you, if you're not careful, hey, he'll, somebody will take a verse of Scripture and they'll use it and twist it in your life. Or you'll use it and twist it in somebody else's life. And uh, and there'll be a divide that'll begin to take place. And you'll head out for the far country in your life. The devil is personal, on ruthless. The devil's cunning and perplexing. The devil is uh, persistent and relentless. He's always tempting. He's always testing. He's always lying. He's always soliciting. He's always enticing. And I'll tell you why. It's real easy, isn't it? He knows if he can get you to fall just right, one time. It don't matter what you've done the rest of your life. It don't matter what you had set out to do for the rest of your life. If he can get you to fall right just one time, he'll take your influence and in testimony. I, I remember Jim and Marshall will remember who I'm talking about. They'll know who I'm talking about. In the first pastor, I remember there's a man used to sit right where Jim Busby's sitting. And every now and then, usually it'd be on a Sunday evening, we'd have a testimony service And without fail, somewhere in the service, he'd stand up, and without fail, it wouldn't be crocodile tears, he'd he'd tear up, and he'd turn around, and he'd address the young people. And he would tell them, I used to teach young folk around here, but no one would trust me to do so again. I got out in the world and gave myself to the world and got out of church. And he said, I'm, I'm ashamed of how I lived my life for just a few short years. But he said, you wouldn't want me leading the youth around here. And he said, I, I wouldn't blame you at all. But he had warned the young people, you stay on the straight and narrow. You stay in church. If it bores you stiff, you stay under the word of God. Don't tell you, the devil, he's relentless. He comes at us, does he not? Time and time and time again. Did you know that sin is a process, by the way? Sometimes somebody will say, well, I, it just happened. Things don't just happen like that. When it pertains to sin, especially for the child of God, did you know the Bible says for, uh, for, a, for a willing sin there remaineth no more sacrifice? Did you know all sin? I'm convinced if the Holy Ghost really lives in the bosom of a, of a child of God, all of our sin... We walk into it with our eyes wide open. Then we may have a calloused heart, and we may turn off the working of the Holy Spirit. We may ignore where we're supposed to be, but we'll set ourselves up for a fall. Listen to how James, I mentioned James a while ago. Listen to how he talks about the process of temptation and sin. Verse 13 of James 1. He said, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Why is that verse in the scriptures? Here's why. Man has the tendency. Uh, man has a tendency to blame God, right? That's what the first man did. Hey, God came in, in, uh, in the garden and said, Adam, where art thou? And he said, you know where I'm at. And he said, no, oh, you've got to say, hey, where are you, Adam? You've got to come clean with this thing. We need a confession. Today. Adam, where art thou? And he said, the woman that thou gavest me. And the the woman, she said, the serpent beguiled me. And I'm telling you, we've been blaming one another ever since. What Adam was saying is, if you hadn't put her in my life, if you hadn't put me in these circumstances, I'd have never fallen. That's what he was saying. And do you know that that's what's being said today? You listen to a drunkard today. He'll say, I've got a genetic problem. I don't have a sin problem. It's a genetic problem. My daddy drank, my my granddaddy drank. It's been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, No, you've got a sin problem. That's what that is. The homosexual today says, well, I was born this way. Don't blame God for that. Uh, Don't blame God for that at all. Hey, God doesn't wire a man up to be a woman. And he doesn't wire a woman up to be a man. Say amen right there. We see that filth in front of our eyes every day uh, on, that, um, on the TV. Did you know probably 30, 40, 50 years ago when preachers preached so hard against the TV? Probably really wasn't any need to do it. And now we don't ever mention it and probably more need to do it now than ever has been before. Ain't nothing but a bunch of filth and garbage on there. Listen to the process as James would write it. He said in verse 14 of James chapter number 1, but every man is tempted. And you know what I know about you and what you can know about me? I do face temptation and you do too. Somebody that will tell you they're never tempted to sin is lying through their teeth. Every man, the Bible says, is tempted. How does it work? He says when he is drawn away of his own lust. And enticed. Did you know that temptation is personality specific? What might stir Brian Jenkins may not even phase me. What might stir me might not phase him. What might stir Jim Busby might not concern you. But I'll guarantee you there is a sin that does so easily beset every one of us. As a matter of fact, the sin you confessed last time around this altar is probably the same one you confessed six months before that. And you'll struggle with it and carry that battle probably with you all the way to the cemetery. And the reason why is because of that old Adamic nature that you drag around with you. Paul would write about that in Romans 7. And he would say, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know the word picture. Sometimes there would be a man that that would commit murder. And if the corpse was not to be spoken for, they would fasten it to the naked body, the back of that murderer. And as that body, that corpse would decay, he would cause his own flesh to begin to rot and he would die a slow agonizing death. What Paul was saying is, this sin in my life. I wish I wouldn't do it. I I said that I wouldn't and yet here I am again. Listen to what he went on to write. He said, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then he said, do not err, my beloved brethren. Do you know whenever, and we made a play on this at Christ's baptism. Do you know whenever, Joe, whenever God spoke from heaven and said, this is him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's well pleased with him in glory. He's well pleased in him in time. He's well pleased in him as a newborn babe, as a toddler, in Egypt, in Nazareth, at the carpenter shop. He's well pleased. Did you know there's temptation for every age group that's sitting right here? As a matter of fact, some of you brought your sin with you this morning when you came to church. If we'd all be honest about it, listen to what John White said so many years ago about temptation. He said, You will be tempted. The kinds of temptation may change. Candies for kids, sensuality for the young, riches for the middle-aged, and power for the aging. As long as you live, you will be tempted. And I'm going to tell you, Mr. White had it right, friend. As long as you live, you will face temptation on some level or another. When does the devil, when does he come at Christ? You'll notice when me, verses 2, 3, and 4. He tempts Christ in a time of physical weakness. The Bible says in 2, 3, and 4, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If, did you know right out of the Greek that word if, and you won't do a bit of harm to this uh, to the text, that word if is an emphatic. He's saying since, since thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He's trying to get him to bypass, to bypass uh, uh, what God providentially has brought him to in his life. To shortcut it, to walk out early, uh, to cheapen his experience as a man. How we're representative man. And when those 40 days are empty, that's when the devil hits him with this temptation to command Hey, command these stones that they be made bread. You see, there's nothing wrong with bread. There's nothing wrong with baking bread. There's nothing wrong with eating bread. But here he is as a man. I'm telling you, a man totally dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God has led him here. And until he leaves here, again, he's to be our representative man. And the devil knows that. He's appealing to his deity Why you ought to command these stones that they be made, that they be made bread. Physically look at you. You're weak. You're vulnerable. Why you ought to make these stones into bread. He comes to him at a time of personal solitude. The Bible says in verse number one, again, that he is in this wilderness. It's hot. It's barren. It's desolate. There's absolutely no one or anything there to be of help to him or any comfort to him. Seems to be a specialty of Satan. You remember when Elijah was doing his math, trying to get his homework up, and the Lord said, what are you doing here? And that's a different word for Elijah when you come there. Hey, you remember the Bible said that he sent him here. He seen him there a number of times. He said, what are you doing here? He said, I didn't tell you to come here. He said, I'm working my math out. He said, the way I see it is uh, there ain't nobody standing but just me. And the Lord said, you throw that away, you put that in the garbage. He said, I've got thousands that hadn't bowed the knee. But I going to tell you, the devil, uh, his motto seems to be divided, I'll conquer them. Uh, but united, I know they'll stand. But divided, I will conquer. Does he not come at us when we're all alone? I was thinking about my mom when before she died back in 2008. I asked mama one day, I'd gone by to see her. And I said, you all right? She always said, I'm all right. And, I, and it's just she and I in the same living room where Harry's hospital bed's at. And I said, uh, I said, you ever get troubled about this? And she, I, she said, no. I said, let me ask you again. I said, you ever get troubled about things? And she said, be honest with you, when I'm by myself. And she said, while I'm by myself, said, uh. I said, yeah. And then she wouldn't say much more about it. cause she was, Type of person didn't want to open up much about anything. He comes at him at a time of spiritual exaltation. I want to tell you something. We may all be at our most vulnerable when we are at our highest and strongest. He's just come from the Jordan. God the Father has just spoken audibly. The Spirit of God has descended like a dove descends lit upon him and john said behold the lamb of god which taketh away the sin of the world and i want to tell you a lot of times when we have a good service around here you mark it down you looking at a preacher devil hit me before i get home good there'll be something that will happen there'll be something there'll be some way he'll come you're most vulnerable when you probably think you are the strongest he appeals to his struggle And we'll bring us to our last point and say a few things. And I'll bring this to a close. But he he appeals to his struggle. There's a real need existing here. I thought about it like this. Probably the devil would would have said something like this. Look at you. You're the king of glory. You were born in a makeshift stall for heaven's sake. Your crib was was a feeding trough. Your nursery, if you would have had a nursery the night you were born, were stinking animals. Nobody knew who you were. When you were two years of age, Joseph had to take you and Mary and flee into Egypt for your life. And look at you now. For 28 years, you've lived in Nazareth, of all places. The last 40 days, here you are fasting. No one's pitied you. The preacher didn't call. The deacons didn't come by and see you. Nobody mailed you a get well card. Nobody seems to care. Has the devil ever told you anything like that? In the second temptation, he appeals to his spirit. Verses 5 to 8, he promises him the world. He's a liar. I don't think he'd give it to him if he could have given it to him. He can't give you anything if God don't let him. The devil's a copycat. That's all he is. He appeals to his senses when he quotes Scripture. Here's what he does. In the first temptation, he stated what Jesus ought to do for himself. In the second temptation, he told him what he could do for him. Then in the third temptation, he said, God really loved you now. Make him prove it. An explanation of the scene, the enemy of the soul, the example of our Savior. As I said last Sunday, I have heard preachers get up and talk about how that Christ can't be our example because we can never measure up. I often wonder what they do with that verse. Peter would write in 1 Peter 2 and 21: For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. That ye should follow his steps. He is our example. Why does he submit himself to this process, these 40 days and nights, the devil coming at him? Number one, it is to display his holiness, his absolute moral purity. It is Jesus that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. John 12 bears that out. And there in his eternal state before he took and robed himself in flesh, there were seraphim that were flying about his throne, John saw. Seraphim are six-winged angels. Cherubim are four-winged angels. only time you'll find two-winged angels is in Zechariah 5, and they're female. It's the only time you'll find that. They're female, and they're headed for devil worship. When man sees an angel in the Word of God, when he sees him on earth, it's always as a man. I'm just telling you what Scripture says. You read the Bible, don't you? Seraphim are six-winged angelic beings. And they looked upon Jesus sitting upon his throne. With two wings, they flew. With two wings, they covered their eyes. With two wings, they covered their feet. And they said, holy, holy, holy. That's who our Lord is. Sharnock, the great theologian, said, power is his hand or arm. Omniscience is eye. Mercy His bowels. Eternity is duration. He said, but holiness is his beauty. And it is. He's independently holy. He's immutably holy. Perpetually the same. He said in Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Our Lord does not grow. He does not evolve. He does not digress. He is perfect. Immutably so. He's not learning anything today. Have you ever thought about that? used to be a big thing. By the time I was saved, first one I heard say it was Brother Jimmy Russell. He, he said, and I heard everybody said it. I said it after I heard him say it. never had heard it like this before. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? So, a preacher that pastors in Shannon called me about a biblical matter. I guess it's been two years ago. And he was asking me about putting God on the spot. And I said, hang on a minute. He's not learning anything. You and I are learning about him, but he's not learning anything. He is invincibly holy. He is impeccable. Look, I know great theologians have differed on the matter and divided on the matter. When he enters into this situation, it's not just that he did not sin. Listen to what I'm going to say. It is that he could not sin. He cannot deny himself, the scriptures teach. There's nothing in him that that a solicitation to evil, there's there's nothing appeals to him in that matter. God cannot be tempted with evil. We read it from James 1.13. You've heard me use this as an illustration. If you were to sing over into that piano, whatever key you sing in will vibrate and sing back to you. When temptation comes around God, there's nothing that vibrates. There's nothing appeals to him about sin. He proves his worthiness. I'm almost done. He shows us, number two, his helpers. Not only his holiness, but he shows us his helpers. Luke doesn't include it, but Matthew and Mark and their accounts have this to say about his helpers. Matthew 4, 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Mark says about the angels and this experience. Mark wrote, And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. In Hebrews 1:13 and 14, The angels of God, there are angels of God that have been assigned to the heirs of salvation, that's you, And that's me. I don't understand that. What little I do understand about it is, if if you had eyes to see today, you could see a whole host encamped about this place and these people. Hebrews 13, verse 1 says, let brotherly love continue. And then he said in verse 2, be careful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels, unawares. It's been a few years, but I want to share this with you again. might be an encouragement. Have you ever been driving late at night? Uh, Not this week, but the following week, I'll drive a meeting out to Siler City, North Carolina, and then I'm going to try to, if I can get 15 minutes nap, I'm driving home after the night service. I'm coming home just about as quick as I can get home. Daryl, you've traveled over the road through the years. Jim, you travel every week a long distance. You ever gone through a town, then wondered, be wore out, get over there somewhere, a little father, on your way in, you, you think, that I've been through there a hundred times, but I don't remember stopping at the four-way. I don't even remember the little town. It may be that God had somebody watching out for you. Amen. Could Very well could be. Oh, Dr. Way, I sure loved him. And I sure miss him. And after bowing at the Lord's feet when he'll let me, I want to go look him up. Best to understand death, when it comes your time and my time, Hunter was talking about it this morning in the open assembly, when it comes your time and my time, it's a transition. You drop this old tabernacle, this old house of flesh, and you just step right into the eternal world. I wonder what they're doing today. They're not putting up with what we'll hear on CNN and Fox. They don't beat people unjustly like the gentleman was beaten to death unjustly in Memphis recently. Now there are riots because they don't have that in heaven. Dr. Way, when the, when, the when the Lord saved him, he was teaching anatomy and physiology and he was a practicing physician. He would teach at the college and he worked at the... Uh, Worked at the hospital. And the Lord, he was just consumed with the word of God. And, and then he became consumed with missions. And God put it in his heart to go to South Louisiana and try to win those Cajuns to the Lord and start a church. And he did. Faith Baptist Church, Dulac, Louisiana. Brother Larry Brinker, his son, was here a few weeks ago. Brother Larry followed Dr. Way when he left that work and started another you get to do Dulac, you can't go any farther until you jump off in the water. He was down in that area, and uh, he said those Cajuns were, were hard on him. They'd cuss him. They'd shut the door. They'd run him off the door, uh, steps. And he said he was discouraged. He didn't have a place to live. Brother Bill Allen, who was the standard for home missions, he was the standard. He lived on he and Mrs. Allen's couch had an old Chevy van is what he traveled in, Dr. Way. If you, if you, many of you knew him. He believed medically, he could tell you why, uh, that arm was afflicted and he, and he limped and, and that leg wasn't strong. He said, Lord, come got him in the rapture. He wanted to yo-yo left-handed. I remember him saying that. But he said he was so discouraged. He said the devil had fought him. He took cussings, and people had been rude to him. They weren't interested in a church in that area. And he said he was in a flood zone. And to knock on the doors, you would leave the sidewalk and walk up the steps. The the houses were built up a little bit. You'd walk up the steps, you'd knock on the door. And he said uh, while uh, he knocked on the door, he'd reach in his pocket and get a track, and he'd be waiting on them. And he'd had people shut the door, and you can just imagine He said, I was discouraged, and I made my mind up when I knocked on this door. If I got treated the same way. I'd go back home, get my teaching job at the college. I'd get my job at the hospital, and I'd quit wondering where my next meal was coming from. He said, I've been mistreated so bad. He said, I knocked on the door, and my name is Donald Way. and I'm a church planter from South Mississippi, and I've come here to try to plant a church. I want to know if he... you died do you know where you'd go and she said don't you ever come back shut the door he said he took the track put it in his pocket held the handrail and got down to the sidewalk said a young man walked up beside him and said preacher the lord sure is good isn't he and said he said yeah he's good just brushed it off he said no preacher he said really he said the lord's good isn't he and said that young man began enumerating the blessings of the Lord. You know, I thought about this morning. I'm up way before daylight on a Sunday. Most days anyhow, but on Sunday particularly. You know, some mornings before the sun ever rises. Now, God has already sent a bird. He's got the song that he sings, copy written, and he sings it just to me. I don't even know what kind of bird he is, but he'll sing while I go open the gates for my birds. About every morning in the dark. God, start, God copy wrote that song, gave it to that bird. It said he got told about how God's been good to him, and he said, by the time we got to the street corner, he said I done made my mind up. I was going another mile. And he said we got down there and pushed the sign. Said Walker, don't walk. He said I was waiting. And said we got the got the walk sign. Said here he is. Said I looked that way and I looked that way and said I said young man, it's clear. And said when I looked back, said there was no young man. He believed to his dying day God had sent an angelic being to encourage him and lift him. He didn't leave South Louisiana. He died in Louisiana sharing the gospel. Why does he submit to it? To display his holiness. He's unconquerable. No variations with him. He is the same. To show us his helpers, though very little is said about it, there is something said about it. And the show and display highness. I know you're like me. Sometimes the devil gets the best of me. Some days I'm victorious and I think. And then some days. Maybe it's my temper. Maybe I say something under my breath I should not say. I get away with it for a little while. And then the spirit of God, I get on my case about it. I have to go before the Lord. As a matter of fact, something I don't think I've ever had much trouble with through the years, last year haunting me all year. And I finally turned it over to the Lord and said, Lord, and I've said this at different junctures in life, Lord, I can't. As a matter of fact, I was assaulted pretty heavy in 2008. The boy would have killed me. He would have beaten me to death had Kerry Nelson up, drove up him, Michelle, and his two boys. If God had not have providentially had him there, I've got pictures after the ambulance drivers had me cleaned up. The boy meant to kill me. Had done, said he would kill me. And my son and my youngest daughter stood there, and when I finally got to myself enough to get up on my hands and knees, they standing there like that. If you don't hear what I'm thinking to say, you can get up and you can walk out, Nathan. I'd never been talked to by a young man, let alone the young man put his hands on me like that. I couldn't do much about it, but I wasn't afraid of the booger man. When I was a young man. I can't tell you what run through my mind. i had never hated in my life, but I hated, I hated. I talked to you about some of it. I don't say this giving you an excuse to hate, but I hate it, Jim. And I thought he won't ever do it again. I'm in it. I mean, I'm in it. If you need you another preacher after today's sermon, that's fine. I had never struggled with that in my life. I sent word to him. I I lived like that for about two months of my life I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat did that in front of my wife and my two youngest children and finally one day I had to get all the way down in the dirt and I said Lord you tell me to pray for them I'm supposed to pray for him and I can't I have hatred in my heart and I'm not supposed to I know you've saved me and I know what you've called me to do but I can't do it anymore if you don't help me and I said Lord I can't I don't even want to change this but I know what your word says so if anything's going to be done to help me you got to do it Lord I submit myself to you but I can't do it don't even want to but for Christ's sake I submit myself. Over the next few days, it was amazing. It was amazing what God did for me. Matter of fact, he was bussing tables in New Omnia. I sat down with about 14, 15 Preachers Camp Zion was going on. He was bussing tables at Taylor's Restaurant in New Omnia. As soon as I saw him, you said, do you have a flashback? No. I felt sorry for him. I prayed for him. And when I left, I walked by him, and I said, hello. I've seen him probably four or five times since. Our Lord submits to this 40-day experience so that we can have somebody that we can come to and say there is a sin. There's a temptation that I battle with. And I can't, Lord, but you can. I don't even have the want to. Other than, I know it's not right, and it dishonors you. That's why he submits to it, so that we could have somebody that we can go to. Oh, what a Savior. Brother Greg, get us a hymn of invitation, please.